So as we begin today, let me remind you of the premise of this whole series. The goal of this series is to first and foremost make much of Jesus. Jesus is worthy of all praise and adoration. As I've said every week, he's before all things and in him all things hold together. He's the creator of all things and nothing that has been made has been, has been made without him. He is the second person of the Trinity. He's the image of the invisible God. He's not the Father, nor is he the Spirit. Jesus has revealed himself in flesh to humanity. God the Father has never revealed himself in the, in, in the world without some kind of covering, a veil that covers him. The Spirit revealed himself in the form of a dove, but never as a man. There are three distinct persons that make up the Godhead, that one true God. This may seem redundant for me to repeat it each week, but I must say that this truth is once again paramount to our faith. If we don't understand the true identity and nature of the Son of God, we cannot know God. Salvation hinges on what we believe about Jesus Christ. We can feel remorse over sin. We can ask for forgiveness of said sin. But if we have the wrong Jesus... We don't have a relationship with God. Who Jesus is is why we can have a relationship with God. Apart from Jesus, there is nothing. The reason that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life is that he is the source of all life and breath. Without him, nothing would exist. Salvation is found in no other name. It's only Jesus. That being said, I hope you brought a Bible with you. So if you have a, a Bible, I just want to see who still carries physical Bibles. I get a kick out of it. Okay, if you've got a physical Bible, that's great. How many of you are looking on your phones? Raise up your phones. So as I go through this message today, I either want to hear pages flipping or I want to see light from your phone scrolling because I want to see you follow along because we're going to have to do a journey today. Today's message is a little different in that I'm going to show you from Scripture how Jesus is the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament. Oh man, I gave away the whole premise at the very beginning. Oh well. Jesus is the angel of the Lord. So, because we have some exploring to do, I'm going to tell you, this is my favorite, and I hate the word character because they're not really characters, they're people, but this is my favorite character in the Old Testament. The angel of the Lord is so clearly the pre-incarnate, meaning before he became flesh, presence of God every time he shows up in Scripture. The angel of the Lord is mentioned 57 times in the Old Testament, five of which are right here in Genesis, which everybody knows is my favorite book in the Bible. So what I want you to do is I want you to turn to Genesis 16. Now, as you turn to Genesis 16, how many people play video games? So, okay, I got a one, maybe two, three, okay, a few, a few, okay, four, okay. For those of you that play video games, you guys probably do like warm-ups, you get ready to play, you know. For those of you that don't, you know, like if you have to like crack your knuckles or, or whatever you do to get ready to do something with your hands, I need you to do that right now because I really want to hear those pages turning and I want to see that light come off your phone from you scrolling because it's very important that you follow along. Because we're going to move rapidly through Genesis and then some other passages in Scripture. Because it's going to take a little bit of work to understand truly who the angel of the Lord is. 
So we find that first appearance here in Genesis 16. So let me give you a little synopsis of what happens before we get to what we're going to read about. As Hagar, Sarai's maidservant, was running away from Sarah, Abram's wife, and the woman that she served, she was found by the angel of the Lord. This happened on the heel of Sarai telling Abraham that he should marry her maidservant. The best way I can say it if there's any kids in the room. And have a child through her. Because Sarai was getting pretty old and she felt like, oh, there's no way I can really pull this off at 75 years old. I'm past childbearing. God, their seed of promise has to keep going. It's going to come through Abraham, so i got to make a way. So Sarai stepped out of out of faith a little bit and she said I'm going to push the envelope a little bit and she said sleep with her and have a baby through her and Abraham biggest knucklehead in scripture at this point says okay I'm going to do it now I, my wife is in the back and if that ever came up it would be a test she would be waiting with a knife probably to stab me thank God she has so much hair they would know it was her okay alright I got to mess around a little bit sorry so the, the plan kind of works because Hagar gets pregnant. Well, the problem is Hagar gets pregnant. And guess what she starts doing? She starts to, to kind of, you know, walk around. She sees the belly start to grow. And Sarai is not very happy about it. So she starts to mistreat her. So she says to um, Abraham or Abram at the time, she says, uh, you got to get rid of this lady because I'm going to kill her if you don't. And Abram says, she's your servant. Do whatever you want with her. So Hagar runs, scared to death. She thinks Sarah's going to kill her, Sarai at the time. Says she's going to kill her, so she takes off. Well, as she takes off, she gets to the point where she's, she's at her wit's end, and they're going to die in the wilderness because they're running, and they're, they're out of food, and her and her son Ishmael. And the angel of the Lord shows up, and that's where we're at right now. So if you look with me, we're in chapter 16 of Genesis. And I'm going to start reading. Let me flip around because I, even I got to I got to move around here too because I'm going to be flipping pages. I get a kick out of it. Chapter 16, in verse 7. Follow along with me. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress Sarai. She answered. Verse 9, then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will so increase your descendants that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, you are now with child and you have a son. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. He will live in hostility toward all his brothers. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. That is why the well was called Bir Lahai Roy. It is still there between Kedesh and Barid. So Hagar bore Abram a son. And Abram gave him the name Ishmael to the son she had born. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. The angel asked Hagar from where she came and to where she was going. And after she answered him, he commanded her to then go back to Sarai and submit to her. This seems pretty normal for what we know about angelic visitations in Scripture. Now, I'm going to ruffle some feathers, so, you know, 
That's the reason why Greg lets me come up here. It's just to ruffle feathers, just so you know. But it's not going to be me. Let the Spirit do it. Every time we find an encounter between an angel and a human being in Scripture, the angel delivers a message. Every time. Every time. So that's why I'm going to take just a few moments to unpack what angels truly are. Because I think we have a strong misconception of what angels are here in America and in the West. The word that is translated angel in our English Bibles is the Hebrew word malach. Malach simply means messenger. That's all it means, just messenger. The word malach in the English Bibles translate to angels is not what's referred to as an ontological term. That's a big word, but I get a kick out of it. Ontology is simply the study of the nature of being. So the word angel is not a term that defines the nature of the messenger. So when I say that, the word malak or messenger is used in, in supernatural beings that, make, that send a message or give a message. It's used in scripture of human beings who deliver messages. You'll find that with um, Jezebel sent a servant to go and, and speak to um, somebody. Uh, one of the, she was trying to deal with uh, Elijah, and so she sent him, this servant, to go and send a message to him. So that's just one place in Scripture where a human being is referred to as a malak or a messenger. And then also God himself is even referred to as a malak when he sends a message to someone or gives a message to someone. So it has nothing to do with gender or or type it is strictly a message the only way we can know who the messenger is or what type of being they are is the context of what it says in scripture that goes with what they are it's not an ontological term so you can't you can't determine it from just hearing the word angel here in our western culture society has redefined what angels actually are depending on the month of the year or different circumstances, angels can be defined in different ways. For example, in February, we hear of a little angel. His name's Cupid. He flies around with his little wings and his little bow and arrow. And for everybody that he pierces their heart, they fall in love with somebody else. In October, we learn about the most beautiful, created, heavenly being that there is, Satan, the fallen angel as he's sometimes referred to. When we see him and we picture, how do we picture him? Anybody know? How does Hollywood show us Satan? He's a big red guy with a big long pointy tail and a pitchfork and horns on his head. Well, that doesn't sound very beautiful to me. When I see those pictures, it doesn't really match what scripture says about him, does it? And even at Christmas time, sorry guys, I'm really going to ruffle your feathers. We even hear in certain movies that angels, every time a bell rings, an angel gets his wings. I got news for you. Nowhere in scripture does it say an angel has wings. Now, seraphs, heavenly beings, or they have wings, but not necessarily angels who are messengers. So you can take that up with the Bible and work that out for yourself. I have an understanding of it, but I'll leave it for you. I don't, have to, I don't really have time to unpack that. But... All of these are fairy tale depictions of what angels actually are. 
again, I said seraphim and even cherubim. We joked about cherubim being the little chubby guys and seraphs are the pretty ones with wings. Uh, they're not called angels in scripture. And we know that there's an archangel. His name is Michael. We read about him in the book of Daniel. And we read about him in the book of Jude, verse 9. And then we know of another angel whose name is Gabriel. He brought messages of revelation to Daniel on two occasions, once in Daniel 8 and once in Daniel 9. He also spoke to Joseph and Mary about her becoming the mother of Jesus. And Michael clearly works on behalf of God, fighting against the powers of the dominion of Satan. We find that in the book of Daniel and also in Jude, verse 9. Gabriel is clearly a messenger. Gabriel appears in the form of a human being. Every time we see angel in scripture, it's the picture of a man. Every time somebody sees an angel in scripture, it looks like a man. Now, eventually, as they interact with that angel, they usually figure out real quick that it's not just a normal human being. But that's how they appear. Angels are not men by nature. Once again, I said they're only that way by appearance. They don't have a gender. You can't understand the nature of, a, of an angel because it's not an ontological term. They're just a heavenly being. It's a functional term that's used metaphorically. So don't let Hollywood define what angels are. You got that? Don't let Hollywood define what angels are. Stick to the Bible and you won't go wrong. Now, with that being said, we now turn our attention to the angel of the Lord. He's referred to, angel of the Lord in Hebrew is Malak Yahweh. Now, if you've ever heard me stand up here and speak, you know how much I love to use the name Yahweh for God. Why? Because that's his covenant name. And the fact that the angel of the Lord, and if you look in your English Bible, Lord is in all caps. And when we see Lord in all caps, it has been, that word Lord with all caps is used in translating Hebrew. They use the word Adonai, which means Lord. Because they are afraid to say, most Jews are afraid to say the name Yahweh because they're afraid that they will mispronounce it. And that's fine. So they replaced it with Adonai. But when you see that Lord in all caps, that's God's covenant name. That's Yahweh. It's very important because when you read about the angel of the Lord, it's always, everywhere in scripture, when it's the angel of the Lord, it's always capitalized because it's the Malak Yahweh. So, at his first appearance in Scripture, the angel of the Lord finds Hagar, as we said before. He does not announce his identity to her. Hagar didn't know that he was the angel of the Lord. To her, he was just some man. But the text leads us to believe that even though she initially believed he was just a normal human being, that she realized at the end of that story who he was. Moses, the author of Genesis, doesn't leave us hanging. He gives us as the reader he reveals the identity that this is the angel of the lord that this is something different than just a normal man that she's encountering but to her she has no idea the angel of the lord tells hagar what she is to do then he prophesies that he the angel of the lord himself will so increase her descendants that they will be too numerous to count he commanded her what to name her child and he prophesied about the type of life that child would live and the key to this passage is the reaction by Hagar. Remember this. She didn't know that the angel of the Lord was who he, said, who he was. He didn't reveal that to her. She simply hears his message and responds accordingly. The angel of the Lord in Hebrew, once again, is Malak Yahweh. The name of God is part of this angel's name. 
it was, if we stood on this alone, our case would be kind of weak to, to explain that Jesus is the angel of the Lord. We'd have a little bit of trouble. This is why many names have parts of God's name in their name. For example, you have Jeremiah and Adonijah, Zechariah, Hezekiah. The list goes on. It's that Yah sound that you hear in those names. That's part of God's covenant name, Yahweh. So you hear those names, and it's people showing reverence for God. We name our children after biblical figures. You know, I have, I have my two younger sons have middle names that are named after. Um, one is the Archangel Michael, and the other one is Daniel, because I really like the book of Daniel. Um, but it has nothing to do with God in them. It has to do with me wanting to give them that name, hoping that God will do something in them that will make a difference and bring glory to his name. But as far as this name thing goes, having the name of God in you, I'm going to get back to that in just a few moments, but hang on to that thought. Hagar, now understanding who stood before her, she responds accordingly, as I said. She recognized fully who she had been found by. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. So now she recognizes something very significant. She recognizes that the angel of the Lord who's speaking to her is the Lord. Hagar recognizes that. It's not inferred, it's flat out. She says she gave this name to the Lord who saw her. She says, the God who sees me, for I have seen the one who sees me. And the well where this took place is referred to as Bir Lahai Roy, which means well of the living one who sees me. Hagar fully understand, understood who was standing before her and speaking to her and speaking these things to her. She recognized the angel of the Lord to be God himself, pre-incarnate in the flesh, in human form. Now, immediately following this encounter, Abram is visited by the Lord in chapter 17. Verse 1, the Lord, read what it, I'll read what it says. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will confirm my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abraham, or Abram fell face down and God said to him, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. Changes his name to Abraham because he will be the father of many nations. He says, I will make you fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between you, between me and you and your descendants. And af after you and for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. Abraham responds just kind of like Hagar did, except he falls down, face down, because guess what? he recognizes that this is God Almighty standing in front of him. Now, the text doesn't say the angel of the Lord, but I'm going to show you how the context says that that's the same human form that's standing before him. It is the angel of the Lord who speaks here. Then God changes Abram's name to Abraham. By adding that H-A in, guess what? That's Ha. That's part of God's covenant name. God literally placed his name into Abram. He has now changed Abram's very nature. He has made Abram a child of God. Now he's Abraham. He's been given a new name because he has a new identity in Christ. Even before Christ ever came into the world as a human being to live physically. God cut a covenant with Abraham that could never be broken. 
God refers to this covenant as his covenant nine times throughout this passage. The only way that this covenant could be broken would be if God himself were to break it. Now, if Abraham and his descendants were disobedient concerning the statutes of the covenant, they were, there would be grave consequences for them, but the covenant would not fail. It would last forever. So you move forward into chapter 18, and the Lord appears again to Abraham. This time, when Abraham looks to God, he sees three men. He shows them hospitality. He offers to wash their feet. He cooks them food. He looks at them as, as men. The difference is that Abraham recognizes them as more than just ordinary men. So he offers them food. Can angels eat food? Guess what? They're men. They come in the form of men. So sure, they have bodies they can eat. Sounds weird, but it's, it's a fact because they do. Over and over in scripture, you see them. People, they come to people and guess what? They feed them. Abraham refers to them as lords, lowercase lords, not, upper, not all uppercase, it's all lowercase. So he's recognizing and clarifying that these two angels are created beings, the two that are there with the third being. They're created beings. They are not as high as the angel of the Lord because they're created And he does revere them as supernatural messengers by bowing down to them. But to one of the angels, Abraham refers to him as Yahweh. You'll notice. Then two of the angels leave. And then while they leave, one of them stays with Abraham. The one that Abraham acknowledged as Yahweh is the one that stayed and told Abraham what was about to take place. Of course, this is Sodom and Gomorrah is about to be destroyed. If, if you're unaware, Genesis chapter 18, uh, this is what's leading up to it. And this this angel of the Lord, this character that shows himself as Yahweh, goes on to tell Abraham what's about to take place in Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, up to this point in Scripture, we've only seen one angel who can be referred to as God. But Abraham does the same here. This is why I love the angel of the Lord, because it's so clear. Jump to Genesis 22, and we find an account that really, really opens up the door as to who the angel of the Lord is. In Genesis 22, God calls from heaven to Abraham, and he says, Abraham, take your son, your one and only son. I know he has two, but this is the seed of promise, so stick with that. Take your son, your one and only son, and I want you to climb up on Mount Moriah, and I want you to sacrifice your one and only son to me. Now, if we stop right there, God does not sound like a very loving God, does he? I don't know any of the women in here that have children. I don't know how you would ever let your husband do such a thing. I think maybe Abraham woke up kind of early, bailed on Sarah, and didn't tell her what was going on. But the scripture doesn't say that, so I'm just speculating. I mean, he is kind of dumb, so he might have said it because he did, you know, take her maidservant. Just kidding. Abraham obeyed God and did exactly that. He got the wood, he got the fire, he got the servants. He said, come on, Isaac, we're going. They head up to Mount Moriah. They get to a certain point, and Abram says, you guys stay here to the servants. He says, I'm going to take Isaac, we're going to go and worship. In his mind, he's going to literally go and sacrifice his son because that's what God told him to do. It gets so close, Abraham literally lifts the knife to slay his son. And as his arm begins to move, who calls out to him from heaven? 
none other than the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord calls out to him and says, Abraham. And this is verse 11 of chapter 22. The angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Of course, Abraham looks up. He sees a ram in a thicket. He takes that ram. He takes Isaac off this altar that he's built. He puts the ram on there as a scapegoat to cover for Isaac and to cover their sins. And he names that place Jehovah-Jireh or Jehovah-Yireh. It is the Lord who provides. God provided a sacrifice in place of Isaac. And Abraham didn't have to slay his only son. Unlike God, who would do that very thing for us later in history. Now, notice that the angel of the Lord doesn't even have to come down from heaven to convey this message. I find that interesting if this is just a created angel. I find that that doesn't really make sense if he's just a created angel. Because how can a created angel convey a message to somebody he's not standing in front of? Angels are not omnipresent, meaning they can't be everywhere at all times. Angels are not omnipotent. They don't know what's going on at any given time. They don't know all things. They're unable to do this very thing. But this particular angel of the Lord is Yahweh. So he can call from heaven and he can speak to men as much as he wants to. He doesn't have to make a human-like appearance to communicate with human beings. He can simply speak from heaven. The angel of the Lord speaks to Abraham a second time. In verse 15. But I'm not going to get to that. Hold that thought. Keep that earmarked in your Bible because we're going to move on from there. The angel of the Lord is, is Yahweh. But I'm going to come back to what he says second in a few minutes. In Genesis 28. Once again, we have a, an interesting experience. Jacob. Abraham's grandson, who would ultimately become Israel, has a dream at a place called Bethel. And that dream is of a stairway to heaven. And on that stairway, angels from heaven are descending and ascending. Why are angels from heaven descending and ascending back and forth from heaven to earth? Why? Because they're bringing messages. That's what angels do. And then above that, Jacob saw God standing God repeated the covenant to Jacob that he'd cut with his grandfather Abraham. That same covenant that was passed on to Abraham's son Isaac. This same covenant was now passed on to Jacob. Take note that this is God himself who is passing the covenant on to Jacob. Keep that in your mind as we continue on. Chapter 48 of Genesis, which we will uh, soon be in in our Bible study. Get excited. We're getting close, guys. We're almost done with Genesis. Chapter 48. This is very key for me. It gives us more insight into the true identity of the angel of the Lord. Jacob tells his son Joseph. He's getting ready to bless all of his sons. But Jake, Joseph, his favorite son, brings his two grandsons, Joseph's sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, to Jacob to have him bless them first before he blesses his own sons. So he brings them and... 
Jacob tells his son Joseph how God himself appeared to him at Luz, which later becomes Bethel, which it's already Bethel at this point when he's speaking of it, but he calls it Luz, and blessed him and reiterated the promise of his many descendants that he would have, as well as the land promise given to his grandfather and his father before him. But what I want you to note is I want you to look closely at verses 15 and 16 in chapter 48. This is what it says. Then he, God, blessed Joseph, or I'm sorry, then he, Jacob, blessed Joseph and said, May the God before whom my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who has delivered me from all harm, may he bless these boys. May they be called by my name and the names of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and may they increase greatly upon the earth. Who delivered Jacob? The angel of the Lord delivered Jacob. He delivered him from his brother Esau when he stole his birthright and he had to run. He ran to his, his uncle Laban. He delivered him again from his uncle Laban who was chasing after him when he finally took off after being a slave essentially for 20 years to his uncle. And then on that route past leaving his Uncle Laban trying to get back to his homeland, he runs into his brother again, and once again deliverance comes as Esau embraces his brother. It's the angel of the Lord who did that delivering. That's what Genesis chapter 48 verse 16 says. The angel who has delivered me from all harm. Now we found all this awesomely convincing evidence, and we sang the song evidence. That was very, very good because it's right. We have all this evidence of who God is. We find all this evidence in Genesis to prove that the angel of the Lord is absolutely God himself. Hagar believed it. Abraham believed it. Jacob believed it. And everybody that was walking with them believed it. But if Genesis were not enough to confirm to us the fact that the angel of the Lord is without question the God of heaven and earth, the Bible just keeps going. I saw. And I really, really, really love the writer. We have to transition to more evidence outside of Genesis to continue to prove this case. And what did we say that our rule for basic Bible interpretation is? Do we remember? Scripture interprets Scripture. We go to the other Scriptures that are more clear about the Scriptures that are vague, and it helps us to understand what the Scripture is telling us. Scripture interprets Scripture. So let's take a look at some even more clear passages concerning the identity of the angel of the Lord. Here comes, even though Genesis is my favorite book, this is absolutely my favorite, favorite passage to help you understand truly who the Lord, who the angel of the Lord is. Turn to Exodus chapter 3. Turn to Exodus chapter 3. For those of you that have read Exodus, Exodus chapter 3 is the account where Moses finds the burning bush. But I want you to pay close attention to what the scripture says about that burning bush. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of, his, of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the desert. And he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought. I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. 
Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, now keep in mind, I just said, who's in the bush? Somebody. The angel of the Lord is in the bush, but who's speaking from the bush? God is speaking from the bush. Listen to what the angel of the Lord, who is God, in the bush says. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at, what does the scripture say? God. He's afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of the land into a good, spacious land, land flowing with milk and honey. You see who's in the bush? The angel of the Lord. But when the bush person talks, it says that it's God speaking. The angel of the Lord says right here, he's God and he's speaking. Of course, Moses is intrigued by this burning bush. Would any of you see a burning bush not being consumed and not think, why is that happening like that? I know I would be intrigued. I'd want to walk over to it. But when you get to it and you find out God's in it and he's talking to you, what do you do? You kind of get a little freaked out. That's what happened to Moses. Of course, God says, take off your sandals for you're standing on holy ground. That same occurrence where someone, Joshua, comes in contact with God, the angel of the Lord, guess what happens? He says, take off your sandals because you're standing on holy ground. That's repeated. Why? Because it's very clear the angel of the Lord is exactly who the Bible says he is. The Lord sees that Moses had gone over, calls to him from the bush, commands Moses to take his sandals off. And we know that Moses knew it was the angel of the Lord because he absolutely reacted accordingly. He knew who he was looking at. He knew who he was facing. He knew that, whoa, I'm in a bad spot because I just seen God. Every time we read about in Scripture, and I'm going to give you a few, more, a few more instances where this takes place, people freak out. Why? Because the Bible says you can't look on the face of God without, and live. You can't. You're going to die. That's the beauty of the angel of the Lord. He is God veiled in human form. Does that remind you of anybody from the New Testament? Of course it does. Jesus is God veiled in human form. He is the God man. Moses hid and he was scared. God commanded Moses, go to Pharaoh, say, let my people go, and I'll be with you and I won't forsake you. So Moses, being an inquisitive man, says, well, if I go to the people, who, who do I say sent me? What do I say your name is? And here comes the beauty of it. Oh, one of Jesus' favorite things to say. He said, God says, Tell them that I am sent you. I am. Ego a me. Jesus says that seven times in the New Testament. I'm going I'm to read those out to you in just a few minutes. But I am sent you. In Exodus 23, same book, a few chapters over. I don't hear any pages. Come on, let me hear them. All right, phone scrolling. Good. Exodus 23. We read about how God would see to it that the people of Israel would reach the promised land. After Moses led the people away from Egypt under God's sovereign hand, 
and he had received the law of God, God makes a promise to Moses and the people. God promised to send, guess what? An angel to prepare the way for them. He'll guard them along the way and he'll bring them safely into the promised land. Verse 21 is key. God says, pay attention to him and listen to what he says. Do not rebel against him. He will not forgive your rebellion since my name is in him. Since my name is in him. I mentioned before about the significance of a name being in someone. We talked, I talked a little bit about how God's name is put on human beings' names. And it, it helps them to, to grow into something that they're not at that moment. And it's interesting how God does that. He changes names all throughout Scripture. And every time somebody's name's changed, their identity is changed. They're made new in Christ. Even in the Old Testament. Because they're looking forward to a Savior. This is different than a parent naming their child something to honor a loved one or to celebrate a celebrity or to even give them a godly name. There's only one angel in Scripture that can bear the name of God. Do you know why there's only one angel that can bear the name of God? Because there's only one angel that is God. A created being can only be given God's identity from God. This particular angel is claiming that he is God. He's not, uh, he's not an agent. There's something in, in Jewish history that, that talks about the principle of agency. And it's their argument against the angel of the Lord being Jesus. And the problem with that is, is that this isn't simply an angel, agent. This person receives worship. He speaks in the name of God. He speaks as God. And I'll, I'll add to that here soon. Here in Exodus 23 is the only mention of an angel bearing the name of God. He is, as the angel of the Lord is in Hebrew, the Malak Yahweh. Literally, the angel of the Lord. God demands that people obey this particular angel this, that would go before them. If the people were to rebel against this, this angel, he would not forgive their sins. He also has the ability to condemn sinners. And this is another ability that belongs to God alone. But if Exodus were enough, there's more. Another clear passage. Turn over a few books to Judges chapter 2. Judges chapter 2. Through the first five books, you got Joshua, and then you find Judges. Chapter 2, in verse 1. The angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochim and said, I brought you up out of Egypt and led you... Into the land that I swore to give to your fathers, I said, I will never break my covenant with you, and you shall not make a covenant with the people of this land, but you shall break down their altars. Yet you have disobeyed me. Why have you done this? Now therefore I tell you, I will not drive them out before you. They will be thorns in your sides, and their gods will be a snare to you. When the angel of the Lord had spoken these things to all the Israelites, the people wept aloud, and they called that place Bochim. They offered sacrifices to the Lord. Who went up from Gilgal to Bochim? The angel of the Lord. Who said that he brought them out of Egypt? The angel of the Lord. Who said that he will never break his covenant with them? The angel of the Lord. 
Now that's ironic if this is a created angel because how could he even make a covenant with anybody? He's not God. But this particular angel can do that. He can speak these truths because he is God. Can a mere angel deliver nations from oppression? Who else can write an everlasting covenant but God alone? No one. In Judges 6, we find the story of Gideon. Guess who he's approached by? Once again, the angel of the Lord. In verse 11, the angel of the Lord comes and sits down under a specific oak tree. He calls Gideon out. He commissions Gideon to go and save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Gideon reacts like a coward. Now remembering who was speaking to Gideon, look at verse 16 of Judges 6. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites together. Who's speaking to Gideon in this verse? The angel of the Lord. Look at the context. Who came from Gilgal to Bochim? Who ended up working his way to where Midian, to where Gideon was under that specific oak tree? Who is it that this storyline is following? It's following the angel of the Lord. But in verse 16, it changes and it says, The Lord spoke to Gideon. Now, the angel of the Lord, if you back up a little bit, he's still speaking in verse 11 and verse 12. He says, The angel of the Lord came, sat down under the oak. The Lord is with you. He says, When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon in verse 12, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And Gideon gives him a, a quick, oh, if the Lord's with us, why are we so oppressed? Why are we in this bad way? Why am I hiding in a wine press, in a, in a wine press trying to sift wheat and chaff so that they can't see me? You know, a wine press is a little deep so he can hide in it because he's afraid of the Midianites. He says, if that's true, then why, why are we dealing with all this stuff, God? He's speaking to the angel of the Lord as if he's God. Then he goes on, he says, how can I save Israel? My clan's the weakest in Manasseh. I'm the least of my family. And that's where verse 16 comes in. So I'll be with you. I'll strike down the Midianites for you. But it's not God alone. It's God in the form of the angel of the Lord. The t context hasn't changed. So, of course, Gideon comes up with his little, his little plan. He's like, I'm going to feed you. I'm going to take care of you. And God, of course, says, take the meat and the unleavened bread that you're going to make for me. I'm not going to eat it. But put it on this rock and pour out the broth. And Gideon did. And with the tip of his staff that was in his hand, the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the unleavened bread. Fire flared from the rock, consuming the meat and the bread. And guess what happened? The angel of the Lord disappeared. He just up and, up and gone in the midst. And when Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, Ah, oh, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. What does that mean? He thinks he's about to be done. He fears his life is over because he's seen God face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace, do not be afraid. You're not going to die. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it, The Lord is peace. To this day it stands in Ophrah of the Abizrites. The Lord speaking in verse 14, 16, and 18. The angel of the Lord revert, returns speaking in verse 20 and acting in verse 21. He consumes the, the meat and the broth and up he goes in the smoke. 
When God speaks in this passage, the angel of the Lord speaks. Look at Gideon's reaction. Scared, face to face. Scared of death because he'd seen the angel of the Lord. He believed that he had literally seen God face to face. The angel of the Lord is the only way that a person could come face to face with God and live. When Moses said he wanted to see God, all he could see was the back of God pass by. When Elijah was looking for God, he looked for God in, a, in an earthquake, couldn't find him. He looked for him in a storm, he couldn't find him. All he could see was the peace of God in the wind. The only way you can see the Lord face to face in the Old Testament was by way of the angel of the Lord. Because it was veiled flesh that covered him. Move to Judges 13. You find the story of Samson. His parents, same, same thing. Angel of the Lord comes to his mother. Says you're going to have a child. His dad doesn't believe it. When she tells him the story, he says, wait till he comes back. He comes back. She goes, gets her husband. What do they do? They make food for the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord stays there with them. They honor him as such. And guess what? After that event happens, Samson's dad, before Samson is born, says, oh my gosh, we're undone. We're going to die. Because we just saw the angel of the Lord. See how this just keeps happening throughout Scripture? It's, it's just interesting. But what happens? Peace be upon you. You're not going to die. Why? Because he's veiled in, as the angel of the Lord. So how, with all that being said, is Jesus the angel of the Lord? And let's wrap this up. Of course, we must use the New Testament to reveal this truth. We've already established that Jesus is the second person of the Godhead over the last three weeks, nailing it down today. He is the Son of God and the Son of Man. He's fully human, yet fully divine simultaneously. So, the first point to note is that God has revealed himself in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. God the Father has never been seen by man. God the Spirit has never been seen as a man. God the Son is the only one who has revealed himself in human form. However, Jesus did not take on flesh until the incarnation, until Mary gave birth to him. John 1.18 says this, No one has ever seen God, but God the one and only who is at the Father's side has made him known. Who is this God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side? Acts 7 says this, Stephen, when he's being stoned for his faith in Christ and his one sermon, this dude got to preach one sermon, and he got stoned to death. Wow. That must have been a really good sermon. It's really long. Check it out. Acts chapter 7. But in the end of Acts chapter 7, he's being stoned. And this is what he says. He saw heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Who is this Son of Man? Who's at the right hand of the Father? This is none other than Jesus Christ himself. Jesus is God who revealed God to humanity. Who revealed God in the Old Testament? The angel of the Lord revealed God in the Old Testament. Jesus did not take on flesh until the incarnation. But the angel of the Lord revealed God long before the incarnation. This is what is referred to as a theophany. This is God appearing before man. That's what we find with the angel of the Lord. Anytime you see the angel of the Lord appearing, you see God appearing. Because Jesus is the only true physical revealing of God, he is the angel of the Lord. This was a pre-incarnate human form of the divine son of God. Now, turn back to Genesis 17 for me, the passage I told you to hang on to. 
I'm going to read verses 1 through 8 again real quick. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will confirm my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down and God said to him, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between you between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants. Uh, verse 9, then God said to Abraham, as for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after the generations to come. This is my covenant to you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. Goes on to the covenant of circumcision, goes through that, and down to verse 15. God also said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai, her name will be Sarah. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. 17, Abraham fell face down. He laughed and said to himself, will a son be born to me, to a man 100 years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? And Abraham said to God, if only Ishmael might live under your blessing. He says, yes, God says, yes, but your wife Sarah will bear, a son, bear you a son and you will call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for the descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, I've heard you. I'll surely bless him and increase his numbers, make him fruitful. When he'd finished speaking with Abraham, God went up with him, from him, sorry. Who called to Abraham here? This time, it says that God called to Abraham, not the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord swears by himself that he, the Lord, would do all these things. Who appears to human beings on behalf of God? We've established it's the angel of the Lord because he's veiled in the flesh of a human being. Who does the New Testament say that flesh person is? Jesus Christ, the sinless Son of God, is that form that you see in the angel of the Lord. Jesus Christ comes pre-incarnate as the angel of the Lord. And if you need a little bit more evidence with the few moments I have left, what did the angel of the Lord say his name was to Moses from the burning bush? He said, tell them, I am sent you. Who else claims to be the I am? Jesus Christ. In the New Testament, in the book of John, Jesus does it over and over. In John 8, Jesus tells the Pharisees and the teacher of the law that before Abraham was, I am. This was piercing. They tried to stone him after this because by saying those words, Jesus was claiming to be God. And to them, no mere human being could ever claim to be God. It was blasphemy. That's why they wanted to stone him. But Jesus had no qualms about it. I am. Before Abraham was, I am. You ready? God's name is in Jesus because Jesus is the great I am. He says of himself, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I am the true vine. Amen. Why should we believe that Jesus revealed himself in Genesis and much of the Old Testament 
as the angel of the Lord. Why should we believe it? I'm going to give you seven reasons real fast. Number one, the angel of the Lord speaks as God himself. Every time he speaks, he's not speaking on behalf of God. He's speaking as God because he is. Number two, the angel of the Lord receives worship. When Hagar realized who he was, she said, I have seen the one who sees me. That's why she named the well, the well of the living one who sees me. Number three, the angel of the Lord has the authority to forgive sins. Jesus makes this same bold statement in Matthew chapter 9 when they bring a paralytic to him. And the paralytic comes, they set him down before Jesus, and does Jesus say your sins are forgiven? No, he says, get up, take up your mat and walk. Your sins are forgiven. He doesn't say you're healed. He says your sins are forgiven. Why? Because he has the authority to do so because he's God in the flesh. Jesus, the sinless son of God, the angel of the Lord, had that same authority because in Genesis, what does it say? It says that he will not forgive your sins. The angel of the Lord will not forgive your sins. Why? Because he's God. Number four, the angel of the Lord bears the name of God. His name, God's name is in the angel of the Lord. It is a part of who he is. No other angel can claim deity. They're all created. The angel of the Lord is not a created being. Number five, the angel of the Lord is not a created being like every other angel. He's not created. He is the God of the universe. He is before all things. In him, all things hold together. Why? Because he is Jesus Christ pre-incarnate. Number six, Jesus revealed himself throughout the entire Old Testament. Not only as the angel of the Lord, but also in the fiery furnace. If you know the story about Daniel's friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, what happens with them? They get thrown into the fiery furnace because they won't bow down to Nebuchadnezzar's statue. And what happens? They're thrown into this fire that's 700 times hotter than what it should be. And guess what happens? They stand there walking around. And when Nebuchadnezzar looks in there, does he just see those three? No. He sees one like the Son of Man. One who is like the Ancient of Days. He sees Jesus Christ pre-incarnate. Probably you could call him the angel of the Lord. Why? Because he is. That's why he didn't burn up. That's why they walked out of that fire without a single singe of their hair. That's why they were safe. Because it is God who stepped into that fire with them. Number seven and final. Jesus is the great I am. As the name of God was in the angel of the Lord, so the name of God is in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, Jesus, the name means Yahweh is salvation. Jesus Christ appeared as the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament to prove who he was in the New Testament, to show us that he's the sinless son of God who set us apart, who set us free from the bondage of sin and slavery and made us new creatures in Christ. Can I get an amen? Amen. Jesus Christ is the only way, the only truth, the only life that ever mattered because he's before all things. In him all things hold together. Nothing was made that was made unless it was made through him. If that doesn't convince you, wait till next week when we talk about how Jesus is the king of kings that we find the prophecy in Genesis 49. Let's bow our heads and pray together. Oh Lord, I thank you so much God for your word. Your word makes this so clear. We cannot deny who you are. Father, we, you, you are God. You are King of kings. You are Lord of lords. You have shown us yourself. You have stepped out of heaven. You paid the price for our sins. God, we are so unworthy of all that you've done for us, Lord. But your word is so true. 
it says that by faith in the sinless Son of God and his sacrifice on the cross, Father, we know that we can come into a perfect relationship with you. God, I pray right now that as John 6 says, that the Spirit draws. God, and if the Spirit's drawing, people can come to faith in Christ. Lord, I pray right now that as the Spirit draws, that no one would leave this room not knowing that they have a perfect relationship with you, Father. I pray that you let your Holy Spirit just run through the hearts and lives of every person in this room, every person watching on Facebook, God. I pray that lives would be changed and made new. Let us be new creations in Christ. Let the old be gone. Let the new come, Father. Be glorified. Thank you for the angel of the Lord. Thank you that you are never hiding from us. You're always there. You are our strong tower, our refuge that we can run to and be safe. Lord, help us to cast our cares on you because we know you care for us, Father. I pray, Lord, that you most of all be glorified by what you do in the lives of every person here. Father, draw all that you will and may they be saved, Father. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. As we stand to sing, if, if you need to pray about anything, doesn't matter what it is, I'm up here at the front, I will be happy to pray over you lay hands on you and there are other men that are here that will do that and women that will pray over you let God be glorified and don't leave this room without knowing you're in a perfect relationship with Jesus Christ the sinless son of God